The beginning of our text in Colossians this morning says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As entertaining as that was, can you apply that to your walk with Jesus? The struggle, sometimes just to stand. The days when others, maybe even trying to help you, knock you over. And maybe the, the moment of the joy of when you actually get it right, and you figure it out, right? And the smile that is on your face. Can, can you begin to apply that reality to your spiritual walk. How many of you with me are tired of a stumbling walk with Jesus and would love a consistent and steady spiritual walk as Paul suggests? Well, if that's the case, then I'm glad you're here this morning. Because our text, our text today talks about this reality of walking with Jesus and doing so well. So turn with me in your Bibles, right? You have them this morning, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Uh, in the Pew Bibles is page 984. In your phones, whatever device you have, however it goes for you, would you please turn there? We're going to be walking through this text. I think it's important for us to have it open in front of us. Uh, and as you turn there, uh, let me uh, again ask you some pertinent questions about the book of Colossians, which we're studying today. So again, Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 6. Uh, through 15, let me ask you, who wrote Colossians? Thank you, Aaron Weiss. There was excitement in that. That was good. I could tell. All right. And who, who did he write it to? The church in Colossae. Some of you are not nearly as excited as you should be about these realities. And, and what, was, what is the theme of Colossians? Why did he write it? To make much of Jesus. To make much of Jesus! Yes! That's exactly why I did. And I think it's important as we head to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15, to understand the journey we've been on in the study of this book as we approach our text this morning. Listen, Paul started this letter by beginning, uh, by, by praying for the church that they would know Jesus more, right? He asked that they would have wisdom and understanding to the fullness of who Christ is. That's his prayer. Why? Because, he says, Jesus is amazing. He uses a big old word, preeminent. He means that he is supreme, that he was with God at the beginning, that he is God, and, and that he was the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. He's the ordainer of all things. The, the, we want more of Jesus because Jesus is awesome, right? That's Paul's letter to the Colossians. Last week, he even stopped for a moment, kind of a parenthetical thought to say, and this is my job. And, and, and quite frankly, it's your job as believers in Christ, as servants of the gospel, to make sure that people around you are growing, including yourself, in their faith of Jesus, that we might present them more mature or complete in Christ. Right? So that's his message so far in this letter. And this morning, um, we come to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15, and he adds in that flow of meaning, that flow of thought, some amazing words that deserve a year themselves in a sermon series, but we're going to do it in one week. You ready? Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. I want you to hear the word of God. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, 
according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. May God be praised for that, his holy word this morning. Here's the thrust of the text this morning. At least this is the avenue that we are going to take as we walk through this text. Um, I I sometimes really try to get the the whole sermon into a sentence for you. uh, Because some of you I only have for about three minutes. Uh, So if I can get the whole sermon to you, that's good. The rest of you who can pay attention longer, we unpack that along the way. But but, uh, this week, by God's grace, the sermon is in a sentence. We learn to walk in Jesus by avoiding Jesus plus and pursuing Jesus only. We learn to walk in Jesus by avoiding Jesus plus and pursuing Jesus only. Listen, if we think about that video this morning, we can reflect on the reality of that we're still trying to get our legs under us sometimes in our walk with Jesus. And the question is, how do we get better at that? Well, here it is. We learn to walk in Jesus by avoiding Jesus plus and pursuing Jesus only. So what does it mean, first of all, to walk in Jesus? Well, the first word of our text, I don't know if I've... Uh, taught you this yet or not, but when we see a therefore in the text, what is, what's the question that we should ask? What's it there for? <laughs> good, some of you are good. You better learn that. As we go through the Apostle Paul's letters, we run into lots of therefores, and that's an important question to ask, right? When we run into a therefore, there's a reason that it's there, and we need to ask the question, what's it there for? Oftentimes, especially in Pauline literature, the Apostle Paul writes, he's transitioning from a very um, uh, theological place, right, to a place of practicality. And here in Colossians, he's been talking much about the supremacy of God, the preeminence of God, of who God is, of who Jesus is, making much of Jesus. And now he's going to transition with this therefore into what do we do with that? And the issue here is how are we going to walk in that? Verse 6 says, Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And Paul then begins to add these marvelous qualifiers of the Apostle Paul, a statement that I believe he takes the rest of our text to unpack, but it's filled with good stuff. We're going to go really fast, right? This is the walk that we are learning. He says it's a walk that is rooted. Think about that, right? What do roots do? They go deep, right? They make things stable. They hold things together, He said, this walk needs to be one that is rooted, has depth, that holds us strong. And at the same time, is one that is built up. It's rooted and built up. It goes down to secure us, while the reality of it is is that it's growing. Growth upon growth upon growth. It's a walk that is rooted. It is a walk that is growing. In Him, who is whom? Is Jesus. Where all of our rootedness and growth comes from. How? 
established in the faith. Our rootedness and our growth comes by trusting in Jesus, who is the giver of our salvation. That's a gospel message right there. It's about the goodness of God, the power of God, who roots us and grows us, but allows us to root and grow in Him, in Christ, as we are established in the faith. And then he goes this, just as you were taught. I I look out and many of you know what flannel graphs are. Right? You old people, like me, know what flannel graphs are. Why? Because you were taught over and over again. So those of you under 30, flannel graphs is this felt thing, right? It's this big old board and you could put figures on it. So when you told Bible stories, your Sunday school teacher stuck those things on. And, and the reason that some of you smile because you remember, and that's what Paul is saying here, just as you were taught over and over and over and over again, these incredible stories, right? This gospel truth, you were rooted in that. You were built up in that. You were established in faith in that, in Christ. And then he makes this statement, abounding in thanksgiving. What's a good walk? One that's rooted, one that's growing, one that's established in faith because of the things you were taught. But hear this, a good walk is one that abounds in thanksgiving. That's full of thankfulness. It's plain to me that Paul proposes here that the steadfastness of our walk is determined by the resoluteness of our thanksgiving. Oh, there's a sermon there I'm going to restrain from preaching. But I want you to hear it, right? I want you to hear it. It's as if it's a barometer, a measuring stick for us, that the strength of our walk is found in the overflow of our thanksgiving for the gospel. So you don't find yourself giving thanks for the gospel, you're probably a little weak-kneed in your walk. But if you abound in thanksgiving, it's because daily you are reminded of that which God has done for you. And indeed are giving thanks for it. That's a lot. And we're going to unpack some of it, a little of it, this morning, even as Paul does and leads us in this text. You still with me? Two of you, that's awesome. How do we walk this kind of walk? Paul says, first of all, avoid Jesus plus. What the heck do you remember, or do you mean by that, Stoffer? Do you remember me uh, talking a number of weeks ago? It was, I think, the first week that we entered into the book of Colossians, and we were asking why Epaphras travels 1,200 miles in order to talk to the Apostle Paul, which then inspires this letter. It's often called the Colossian heresy. What's funny about this is they put a name to it, and you could read a hundred commentators, and you would have a hundred definitions of what the Colossian heresy is. Nobody really knows what it is, so everybody goes on their thing to make it up. I'm not going to get into the Colossian heresy, other than that morning I said it was an issue of syncretism, big old word, meaning that we're taking things and meshing them together. Some of you today will be syncretistic in your cheering at the Super Bowl, right? Because your team's not there you'll pick a team. I'm picking the Chiefs because I'm a bit selfish uh, and prideful and I don't want San Francisco to get to six Super Bowl rings, right? Right? So, so there you go. So we have a lot of Chief fans. A lot of Chief fans. I don't get an amen when I say Jesus is coming again, but if I say the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl, amen, brother, come on. What is wrong with you people? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm right with you, right? So you're going to be syncretistic. You don't care a flip about the Chiefs. You just want to protect your Steelers, right? You're syncretistic in your Super Bowl 
dealings, right? All right, so there's a syncretism going on in the church. The Jews in Colossae, right? Because there are Jews there, and they're coming to faith in Christ, but they're carrying with them their law. And so they're still looking down the aisle, right, in church going, man, I'm so much glad. I'm so glad I'm so much better than that person or that other lady down the street. Their law and their obedience to the law is creating a syncretism that the law has become an addition to the reality of believing in Jesus. With me? In the same way, the pagans who are coming, the Gentiles who are coming to faith in Christ, are still carrying around their little idols, right? Because they have this little statue that for a decade has caused their crops to grow really well in Colossae. And so they're loving Jesus, but they still kind of hang on to their little Buddha doll, right, that sits on their nightstand so that their crops grow. You hear syncretism? It's not Jesus only. It's Jesus plus. And it's creating all kinds of issues, all kinds of distortion of the gospel. I think I've mentioned before, uh, we have a friend, Human, who is Iranian, um, that we had a chance to do life with for a number of years while he was a student at Youngstown State University. And I'll never forget the day in my office when he said to me, after lots of conversations and lots of discussions, that he wanted to become a Christian. He wanted to ask Jesus in his life. Glorious day. So we go through that process. He prays. It's beautiful. And we're both just kind of weeping. It's a really great moment. And then after we're done praying, he goes, this is so good, Rick. I've now added Jesus to my Zoroastrian beliefs. And I went, oh, crud, we're just not there. Right? We're still processing that. You see, his, his roots were grounded in a Zoroastrian belief. It's an ancient religion that's in the Middle East. And, and he was still so rooted. Now, he added Jesus to that, hallelujah, right? But he still had this legalistic part to him that was hanging on to his Zoroastrian. Jesus plus. It's thinking that as long as our hearts are at least like 80% Jesus, we're okay with mixing in a few other things. But it's Jesus plus. And Paul says here, be aware, warning of Jesus plus thinking. And just in case you're here this morning thinking, man, those people with Jesus plus problems are really bad people. I'm just going to tell you this. We're all Jesus plus people. We're all Jesus plus. We all have a Jesus plus problem. I trust in Jesus, but I'm certainly glad to have some financial security. (laughs) Right? I walk with Jesus, but sometimes I don't let him out to play because I'm concerned about my reputation. I know Jesus saves me by faith, but I'm still so glad that I'm not as much of a sinner as that lady down the street. I know Jesus has forgiven me, but I continually get wrapped up in guilt and shame over my past. I believe in Jesus, but I think we need to change Jesus throughout time to make sure he is culturally relevant. Jesus. Plus, here's the bottom line. My problem and yours, we all struggle with a Jesus plus me issue. (laughs) We love Jesus, but sometimes we love ourselves more. It's syncretism. Often idolatry. Always sin. And it's Jesus plus. With me? None of you. And listen to Paul as he addresses it, right? This is what Paul says to this Jesus plus problem. See to it that no one takes you captive by it. 
Don't be kidnapped by it. Actually, my Greek translation said, don't let it take you away as booty. <laughs> don't, let it, don't let it enthrall you, this Jesus plus thing. He says, avoid philosophy that contradicts the truth of Jesus. Avoid empty lies that misconstrue Jesus. Avoid human traditions that draw us away from heavenly truths. Avoid the seemingly simple and overwhelmingly popular spirits of the world. Paul says, avoid those things. It's like the prophet Jeremiah was speaking when he was speaking to a rebellious people in Jeremiah 2. But what he says is still so true of us. He says to the people that day, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's Jesus plus. Jesus, God says, listen, in you I've put fountains of living water. But what do you do? You kind of go outside of me and you begin to build your own cistern. Those cisterns are going to break. Those cisterns will destroy you. Listen, I have an astounding word of knowledge for you. You ready for this? Your 401k will not get you to heaven. Our love for popularity is going to lead us to compromise. Our legalistic judgments will lead to deathly pride. Our guilt and shame will lead to anxiety and self-defeat. Our love of the world will make us enemies of God, says the Bible. None of our Jesus plus cisterns get us to Jesus. They're all broken. So Paul says this. You want to know how to walk in Jesus? Steadfastly rooted, built up, established in faith? Avoid Jesus plus. And then this. Pursue Jesus only. Pursue Jesus only. I I, I like the word pursue here, but I I need to make sure that you hear the Apostle Paul in in these next two verses, verses 9 and 10, because when I say pursue, I do not want us to think that we are chasing after something outside of ourselves. Here's the good news of the Gospel. Jesus is in us. We're not chasing somebody, something outside of ourselves. Rather, we are seeking that which God has already given us. The the Jeremiah 2 fountain of living water that is ours. That's what we're pursuing. And pursuing that alone. You ready to be blown away in this text? Paul says, For in Him, who's Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. If you ever had any thought or question as to whether Jesus was God, the Apostle Paul says, right there, you need to wonder no more. In Christ, the whole fullness of deity, the fullness of who God is, dwells bodily. That's amazing enough, but listen, it gets better. He goes on and he says, and you have been filled in Him. So Christ has been filled with deity, and you are filled with Christ. I'm not really good at logic, but that that means good things for me, doesn't it? Being filled in Him. Guess what that means in the Greek? It means being filled in Him. Astounding, isn't it? So when I say pursue Jesus only, it is not the pursuit of something outside of yourself. It is the pursuit of that which He has already given to you. And it proclaims loudly this morning, 
in the remainder of these verses that Jesus is enough. <laughs> you hear that? You don't need to pursue anything outside of the fountain of living water that's in you. Jesus is enough. And here comes one of the wonderful moments that Paul is again overcome with the goodness of Christ, the fullness of Christ, and the gospel of Jesus. So two things as we dive into the rest of this text, which is astounding and good. We're going to fly, right? Two things, though, as we dive in. If you already know these things, if you already know the gospel, then allow this to be a moment of remembering what you know. Right? It's the choir saying over us that we would remember today, that we would remember what we know. That as Paul said earlier, recall what you have been taught. But maybe you're here this morning and you're unsure about what it means that Jesus fills you, that Jesus saves you, that Jesus loves you. Listen into what Jesus has done to help us to spiritually walk rooted, built up, and established in faith. And for all of us, may it be an inspiration this morning to pursue Jesus only because we realize that Jesus is enough. So as you are filled with the fullness of Jesus, who is the fullness of God, Listen, this is what's on your resume. You want, you, I know your resume. Your spiritual resume is here. Listen, first he says, you've received a Holy Spirit heart circumcision. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Some of you are nervous. This is a family show. What's he going to say? Right? This whole circumstance, what in the world is Paul talking about? It's simply, it's this, that as Jewish males lost some significant flesh in circumcision to mark them as the people of God, right? Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has cut away, this is what Paul is saying, has cut away our fleshly, read, sinful hearts, and now marks us as his people, Accepted by him as righteous. Listen, because heaven cannot be ours with hearts of flesh, but only hearts circumcised and made pure by Jesus. That's a lot. Can you let that, can the pastor slow down for just a second to let that settle in? Paul says, listen, this is on your resume. Your hearts have been circumcised. All the bad stuff. <laughs> has been cut away. The flesh has been cut away that you might be left righteous before Christ. The Holy Spirit has done that in you. Being in Christ has done that for you. And this is on your resume. Listen, no longer is it an outward sign by human hands, but an inward action that can only be done by God. And if you're a believer in Christ this morning, I have good news. He has done that in you. Another way to put that, because Paul goes, hmm, that might be confusing. Let me say it another way. Here, here it is. You have been buried with Christ in his death and raised with Christ in his resurrection. Second item on your resume. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Some of you Baptists, former Baptists, were frustrated last week. You don't have to show your hands. I, I know your hearts, right? Because we did an adult, we did two adult baptisms last week, and you're going, but but pastor, you didn't get them all wet. I mean, Andrew, I got you a lot wet, right? Uh, we didn't just sprinkle, we dumped, right? 
but 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 there, there there's a reality and a glorious reality. And you Baptists were going, oh, we we missed that we missed because in immersion, what happens, right? And you now listen, you loving Baptists, it's not in how we do it; it's in the one whom we celebrate in doing it. But there is something cool. I'll give you this, right? I'm on the Baptist bandwagon this morning. It is, it is cool when we immerse. Why? Because it, it, it physically shows what Paul was saying spiritually here. That we're buried with him in Christ's death. We put him under the water. And then we're risen with him in his resurrection as he comes out of the water. And immersion baptism is good. Baptists say amen. You've been dying to say amen. Oh, you're shy. But you see what I mean? And it's a great image. And I want us to see the image this morning because it's exactly what Paul is talking about because that's how they were baptizing tons of new believers in Colossae. They were going out to somebody's pool or stream out back. They were doing the immersion deal, right? And they were saying the words that Paul is even saying. Now listen, this is what's on your resume. This is what happened to you. You were buried with Christ. Your sins went to the cross with Him. And then you were risen with Christ, pure and in perfection and righteous. It's a beautiful image. Now, some of you Presbyterians, I have good news for you as well. Right? A quick aside. It's really cool here that the Apostle Paul connects circumcision with baptism. Right? Because it helps us understand why we take those cute little babies right, and baptize them. Because Paul is making a really, this isn't a side, this is free, it's not extra, right? He goes, he, he's connecting the reality of, of baptism in circumcision, which means that because babies were circumcised, that we might have this biblical stance of being able to baptize babies. And you Presbyterians, of course, inwardly into yourself, go, amen. Thank you, all right. And some of you are here going, What's a Baptist and what's a Presbyterian? Would you just get back to the text? I hear you. That's where we're going, right? But remember, we're looking at our resume in Jesus' inspiration. Circumcision of the heart, a baptism in that we died with Christ and that we are risen with Christ. Third thing on our resume is that you are eternally alive and forgiven. Listen, it's literally Paul repeating himself regarding our resume because he knows Stoffer doesn't get it easily. And so he keeps saying the same thing and same thing in greater clarity, more concrete and astounding ways. Listen to verse 13 and 14. You who are dead in your trespasses. Let me be frank, Paul says. You who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. How? Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing to the cross. Question, is there anything a dead person can do to bring himself back to life? I mean, if a dead person is going to come back to life, it's a miracle, and it's not him that's going to do it. It's going to be somebody outside of himself. To quote the great Dr. Robert Stoffer, dead is dead. It's profound, isn't it? Well, how does he in this text make us alive? By forgiving us our sin. More specifically, love this, canceling the record of our debt. And how does he do this? By nailing it to the cross. 
How many, you don't have to show your hands, how many of you think to yourself, how many of you have a mortgage that you pay, right? How many of you have student loans maybe that are still out there? Some of you shouldn't have student loans anymore, right? <laughs> Unless they're your kids' student loans that you're paying on, right? How many of you have a car payment, right? Well, how cool would it be to go to the mailbox tomorrow morning, right? And you open a letter and it says, like, your mortgage is paid for. You don't know anything anymore. Done. Your debt's been paid. Even some of you subdued ones would be like, oh, yeah. Right? Do it, do it a little G. Listen. How much greater the debt that deserves death has been paid. Paul said, you don't get the circumcision thing, you don't get the baptism thing, I get it, but get this. You're dead in your sin. Dead. But through Christ, you've been forgiven, and now you are eternally, eternally alive. There might be some in this day and age that might try to tell you that if you are good enough, that you've done enough good things that somehow you can pay off the debt of bad things. Yikes, Isaiah 64 tells us otherwise. What? That even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God. There is no way we can pay our own debt. Get this though, Paul says that on our sin resume, we are debt free. That Jesus took our debt and he paid it when he died on the cross. That is so worthy of a little jig in our gratitude to a great God. And get this, Jesus wants us to know now that we are forgiven and alive. Now that we are forgiven and alive so that we might live as forgiven and alive now, not just in eternity. That we would pursue Jesus only. One more line on your resume and then we're done. One more. You are free. Circumcision of the heart, dead in Christ, arisen in Christ, alive and forgiven, and you are free. And I specifically want to put this on your resume. God wants to put this on your resume this morning, especially for the devil to see. Verse 15, he, Christ, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We don't talk about it a lot. Probably should talk about it more, but you do know there is a devil. And you do know that he has, sorry to uh, corrupt the cool movie that you like to see, but he does have minions, right? <laughs> that travel this world that love when we just start to walk to knock us over. To tackle us and take us down. It's true. Now, I'm not a guy that believes the devil's behind every bush. Sometimes I'm just stupid. I can get myself in trouble without the devil. The devil sometimes looks at me and goes, I'm not going to waste my time. You're just stupid enough. You're going to go there yourself, right? I'm not a devil behind every bush, but I am one who's greatly aware of what 1 Peter tells us, that the devil roams like a roaring lion seeking those whom he will devour. But you know what? This verse says that that lion has got no teeth. And he can't gum me to death. 
He has no power. His power, his authority has been stripped from him. Why? Because of Christ in me. He can come at me. He might knock me over, but he can't devour me. And be vulnerable for just a second. You ready? How many of you have ever had a dream that you are surprisingly somewhere inescapable and you're just in your underwear? See, a couple of you are honest enough. I'll be vulnerable. Sometimes, sometimes I don't even have underwear, right? I don't know what it says about me, but every once in a while you get those dreams. Listen, some of you are just lying through your teeth. You have that dream. I know you do, right? But, but here's, here's, why, here's how I've redeemed that dream in this verse. Because every time the devil wants to come at me, you know what I think of? He's stuck somewhere in his underwear. <laughs> And he's like, I can't, I'm revealed. I, I don't have any power. I don't have any strength. I, I can't do anything to stop her. It's just a simple guy in my underwear, right? Stuck. That's what Paul was saying. And he says to us, listen, you are free. There isn't a principality or a power. There isn't a devil or a demon that can devour you. Why? Because of what Christ has done for you. Free. So listen, how do we walk in Jesus? We learn to walk in Jesus by avoiding Jesus plus and pursuing the things that are on our resume. Remembering what we know in Jesus only. If you've come here today curious about Jesus or feeling as if you've wandered from Jesus, if you've come here this morning searching for truth and hope, all I can say is here it is. This is, uh, this is glorious gospel This is the truth and hope that has changed my life. And if you look down your pew, it's the truth and hope that has changed someone else in your pew today. That we can say such crazy things. And I pray that if you're here wandering, if you're here wondering, I pray that it penetrates your heart this morning and changes your life as well. Because you need to do nothing to have this resume other than to believe it's true. And do as Paul says, walk in it. Avoiding the Jesus only, or the Jesus plus, and pursuing Jesus only. For those of you who know it's true, you should be smiling this morning. Right? Abounding in thanksgiving. Loving your resume. Because it's what Jesus has written into your life as a Christian. If it's what you know, if it's what you've been taught, then as we approach this table this morning, remember what you know and walk in it. Smile as one whose walk is rooted and built up and established in faith. That we might avoid Jesus plus and pursue Jesus only. That we might walk well.